0: This is God's servant, Dilip Koshikoshi. I am the pastor of Revelation Church. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. I pray that you will experience the power of God's word in all its richness and glory today. May your faith be revived, your mind be renewed, and your body be healed in Jesus' name. Father, we are in your presence. We want to hear from you this, this morning. We want to hear a clear word, the word that can cleanse us, the word, the word that can change us. The word that can purify us lord correct us if it is required of us to be stopped in our tracks lord we pray that you'll do it lord if it is required for us to be um prevented from making the wrong turns we ask of you that you will do it if it is required of you to use force lord we pray that you will use force but may your gentleness prevail over us, Lord. May your mercy and your love prevail over us. May grace abound. Lord, we want to submit to your great work in our lives. We want to submit, Holy surrender to your great work in our lives. Help us, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to us. Purity. In all things. Purity in deeds and actions. Purity in intentions. Purity in our thought process. Cleanse us by your word, purge us by your word. May your word do a great work in our midst today. May we be changed by the power of your word. Thank you, Pa, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Jonah, the son of Amittai. One more time. Jonah, the son of Amittai. We were looking at uh, Jonah. And Jonah is counted one among the, the minor prophets. When you study the book of Jonah, you, you study a little bit of background, uh, you'll understand that he was counted one among the minor prophets of the Bible. He ministered uh, during the time of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, he, he was contemporaries with uh, Amos and Hosea, yeah? roughly around that same time. Uh, But what is interesting about Jonah is that for all the other prophets that we study, all the books of the prophets that we study in the Bible, the content of that book is made up of their prophecies. The content of their book is made up of the prophecies that they released over over the people that they ministered to. But when you come to the book of Jonah, the content of the book of Jonah is not the prophecies that he made, but the life that he lived or his response to the call of God. Amen? Isn't it amazing? Every other book we study about the prophecies that those prophets made. But when we study the book of Jonah, we we are not able to see much about the prophecies that he made. But what we can see is the way he responded to the word of the Lord which came to him. Amen? And the spirit of God has a certain way of putting things into perspective. Even the failure, or almost failure, the reluctance of a prophet can be used to teach us some things. Are you with me? The reluctance of this man of God is used to teach us some things about the attributes of God. God called Jonah as Yes, that's right. The word of the Lord came to him saying, go to the great city of Nineveh and cry out against it. Simple instruction, right? Is that complicated? We looked at that. How simple can this instruction be? God, the word came to Jonah and said, "Go to this great city of Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, one of the major capitals of the Assyrian Empire, and uh, the, the only thing that he was to do was go and cry out against them. Simple, very simple. Even a kid can do. Even Caleb can do that. I'm telling you, even a kid can do that." But Jonah, what does his name mean? If you let me see if you remember that. Yeah, his name means it's a dove. Dove. His name means dove. Jonah, the dove, instead of going, flying to the direction that God showed him, he flew away from God. He took off. He was supposed to go northeast. Okay, if you look at me, if this is consider this as the map, he was supposed to go northeast. 900 kilometers, I told you, from the place that he was, he was staying in uh, Gath Hefer, which is in Galilee, the regions of Galilee. He was supposed to go northeast, 900 kilometers. Instead of that, he went south and then to the west. So southwest, he traveled around 5,000, 6,000 kilometers away from the place that God had asked him to go. So he went diagonally opposite the direction God showed him. God showed him this way. He, where he chose the... Sometimes we are like that. God will show us this way. You will turn your back on God and you will choose to, to walk in the direction opposite that. It's an inherent condition of man. That's what the Bible talks about, the heart of man. The heart of man is desperately sick. That's what the Bible says. desperately sick. Who can fathom the thoughts of the human heart? When God tells you something, how do you respond? So from Galilee, he went to Joppa. Say Joppa. What is Joppa? Joppa is a port city. And from there, he set sail to Tarshish across the Mediterranean Sea. Nineveh is modern day Iraq or Iraq. okay? Nineveh is Iraq and Tarshish is modern day somewhere in Spain, according to the, the historians or theologians. They say Tarshish is somewhere in the modern day Spain. So he sailed across from Joppa. He sailed across the Mediterranean Sea towards Tarshish. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. Think about it. I was thinking about it. Obedience would not have been so difficult for him. Obedience only demanded him to make, to cover, to scale a distance of 900 kilometers. But disobedience, he was so disobedient, he was so reluctant, which caused him to go so far, almost five to six times more than the distance he should have covered had he obeyed God. You will end up spending six times more energy disobeying God. That's what happened to Israelites. A journey which was so close took 40 years for them. You will end up exerting yourself if you are choosing to disobey God. You will exert your mind. You will exert your body. You will exert your soul. You will end up becoming empty on the inside. You will drain yourself. These are the problems of disobeying God. And and what is interesting is as soon as he... Stepped into the ship, he went down the deck and he hit the bed. He went fast asleep. Think about it. So he was so tired. By the time he reached the ship, he was so tired that he was ready to hit the bed. He was snoring away. When the, the storm hit the sea, this man was snoring away. Rebellion can take a toll on your health. Somebody listen to me. Rebellion to God can take a toll on your health. It can take a toll on your mind. It can take a toll on your emotions. It can make you feel very drained out. In fact, some of us are always feeling so tired because you are not obeying God the way you are supposed to obey God. Because disobedience demands... More than what grace can offer you. See, grace is for obedience. Grace is for obeying God. Grace is the ability of God which will enable you to obey God. But when you choose to disobey God and to rebel against God, you're not running on grace, you're running on your own own strength. And when you're running on your own strength, before you know it, you'll be tired. Before you know it, you'll be sleeping. Before you know it, you'll be sick. Before you know it, you'll be in the storm. Obedience is not stressful. Some people in the church today, they don't know that obedience is not stressful. I want you to know that obedience is rejuvenating. Obedience is relaxing. It can relax you. It can relax your mind. Do you know that? Obedience under God can cause your physical being to relax. Your mind to relax. But disobedience is stressful. It brings stress to your body. It brings stress to your mind. It exerts your mind. It can take a toll on your well-being. <laughs> it's harmful. Say harmful. Disobedience is harmful. Oh, tell your neighbor. We should actually have posters. Disobedience is harmful for health. Yeah. Like smoking is injurious to health. We should we should say it. disobedience is injurious too. Yeah, it is injurious to health. Disobedience. But it didn't really matter to Jonah. While on this disobedient run, nothing really matters to a person. Do you know that? When you are disobeying God, when you are rebellious to God, nothing really matters. You are running on a, the spirit of disobedience. A drive to disobey. A drive to, like I said, I told you last time, it is when a man is disobeying, when a man is rebelling, he's set on a drive to prove himself right. He was disagreeing with God. God said something, but Jonah disagreed to God. He was disobeying God. He was reluctant to obey God. He was set to prove himself right. He wanted to prove that he has a better idea than God. So when you are set on a journey wanting to prove yourself right, nothing else matters to you. You won't be able to see anything else. You won't be able to see the red signals. You won't be able to see the, the speed breakers. You won't be able to feel the hums. You won't be able to see the signs that say caution, go slow. None of those things you'll be able to hear or see. You know why? Because you're set on, a, on an agenda to prove yourself before God. And that's a dangerous drive. Let your neighbor a dangerous drive. That's a dangerous drive. All that mattered to Jonah was that he was running far away from Nineveh, from where God had called him to be, to Tarshish. That was the only thing that mattered to him. Nothing else mattered. Tarshish, say Tarshish. Say Tarshish. say smile and say Tarshish. Oh, some of you can try to picture your Tarshish when you say Tarshish. It might be a different word. It might be a different place, maybe. It might be a different uh, person. It might sound different, but think about your Tarshish and say, Tarshish. I'm telling you, you all have Tarshish in your life. Some of you act like, no, I don't have. I don't even know what is Tarshish. What is Tarshish? But you all have a Tarshish that you're petting. Tarshish, the city of dreams. Probably, the, if they were to run a tourism. Uh, campaign, they would probably call it like that. The slogan, the tagline of Tarshish would be, Tarshish, welcome to Tarshish, the city of dreams. Tarshish, the city of new beginnings. All my life I've been a prophet of God. This miserable work of a prophet. All I'm called to do is go and tell people about judgment to come, doom to come, cry out to people. Now I'm heading to Tarshish, the city of new beginnings. Wow. Tarshish, the land of opportunities. Tarshish, the land where nobody knows me. Some of you love that. Some of you love to be in places where nobody can recognize you. You feel safer in places where people don't recognize you because that's the land of freedom. The place of freedom. Parents are not around. Siblings are not around. Friends are not around. The old friends. Good friends. I'm talking about good friends. It's the land of freedom. I don't know what what all Jonah would have called Tarshish. Maybe all these phrases and more the land of freedom, the land of opportunities, the land of new beginnings, the land of my dreams. I told you that last time that you all have a Nineveh instruction from God at any given point of time. At any given point of time, every single one of you here, you have received a Nineveh instruction from God. God has shown you a Nineveh. But in the backdrop of Nineveh, in the distant vicinity of things, there is a a Tarshish idea that you are pampering. Even as God has clearly showed you Nineveh, this is my instruction toward you, son. This is my instruction toward you, daughter. Go to Nineveh. It can be a place. It can be a role that you have to take up. It can be an instruction. It can be a ministry. It can be a person. It can be anything. Something that God has spoken to you so clearly. The Nineveh instruction from God. But in the distant vicinity, you can see the Tarshish idea, the land of dreams beckoning you. I don't know whether you are, you're contemplating on this, or you're feeling offended. You're feeling sorry for coming to church today. I should not have come because what to do? Now I have to acknowledge the tarshish. You thought nobody knew about your tarshish. You thought nobody knew about your Tarshish. But I want you to know God knows about your God knows about your Tarshish. God knows that you are fleeing from Nineveh. For every Nineveh God is calling you to, there will be a shimmery Tarshish somewhere in the vicinity. I want to repeat that one more time. For every Nineveh God is calling you to, there will be a shimmery Tarshish somewhere in the vicinity. When Jonah went down to Joppa, I love this fact. When Jonah went down to Joppa, he found, the Bible says, he found a ship ready to set sail to Tarshish. For every place God is calling you to, there will be a ship or many ships for that matter, ready to take sail in the opposite direction. Have you ever thought about it? For every, every place, that every instruction that God is giving, there will be something pointing the other, other direction. How did God speak to you? Say here. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but God speaks to me here. This is where he speaks to me. Okay? How does God speak to you? Here, right? Okay, it's the same for all of us. You open the word, you hear it here. You hear God, hear. You pray to God, you hear God, hear. Okay? Whereas all the other things that you see are external. Tarshish. Imagine a, an artist like Sharon writing the word Tarshish. Full frills and colors and it's, it's so real. It's almost like you see the word Tarshish, it's almost like you've already been to that place. For every Nineveh that God shows you, there will be a boat or a ship ready to sail in the opposite direction. Immediately. As soon as he reached, he found. What a coincidence. Oh, that means I'm, I'm right. That means I was right. God was wrong. It was already provided. How we try to, how we try to decipher uh, signs how we tried to manipulate. Oh, then we all say, "All oh, glory to God." By the time I reached the port of Joppa, the ship was ready. Wow, miracle! Yes, I had, and when I put my hand in the pocket, guess what? I had the right amount of money to pay the fare to Tarshish, exact amount, huh? and one last seat in the VIP lounge. God was surely with me. God was surely, surely, surely with me. Hallelujah. That last seat I got. The last seat I got. I had the right amount of money to pay the fare. I, I reached there right on time. As soon as I stepped onto the ship, it took off. Wow how we decipher things and we make it look like everything is everything is God sent everything is God ordained the mariners of that ship and I believe are frequent seamen they were such confident sailors they were probably doing it every season of their lives These, these sailors knew the sea so well. If, if, if you were to ask me, they had the sea routes behind the palm of their hands. That's how well they knew the sea route. They've been frequent travelers on this route. And they know that it, it's the safest route to take. From Joppa to Tarshish, safe route. So when Jonah reached, he was so glad that he found the company of these sailors who knew the route so well. Confident sailors. They were so confident. And Jonah was so happy. See, look at this. Everything is falling into place. We say like that, no? Everything is? Be very careful when you say things like that. It will not be too soon before you start falling down. Everything is falling into place. The fare was there in my pocket. The last seat was available. The the ship was ready. And what the best thing was, we had the best sailors. I I found the best sailors. On that ship. Frequent sail. Experts. Say hey, experts. Be careful about experts. I'm telling you. I'm warning you. Be careful when you meet with experts. If any expert sounds an expert to you more than God, then I'm telling you, you are in, the, in no company of experts. So when you run away from the call of God, do not be surprised to meet Experts. Do not be surprised. Oh, surprise! I found experts. Don't be surprised. The experts will be there. When you're running away from the call of God, experts will be there who will be traveling in in a different direction. You will find experts traveling in a different direction. And they will offer you company. They will offer you company. And they will receive you with open arms. When you are moving away from the plan of God, if you take all these are signs that you are right, I want you to know that Jonah experienced all these things. He experienced when he reached Joppa, ship ready. When he reached Joppa, money ready. When he reached Joppa, people ready. They welcomed him with open arms. So he can say, look at this. Everything is all good. It's all in place. It's all falling into place. But I want to know that when you are disobeying God, you will meet experts who are traveling in a different direction. And if you're going to give heed to them, you will end up traveling in a direction that you are not supposed to travel. And in the process, cause danger not on yourself, but also on those experts. Maybe in the direction God wanted you to go, you will be a lone traveler. Say, lone traveler. (sighs) I want to know that it it is good to travel alone. If you're traveling with Jesus. If if you're walking with Jesus, it is okay. You don't need much company. Jesus and you will make good company. Amen. Amen? You are walking with Jesus, Jesus and you will make good company. If you're going with the majority, I want to warn you. There's a high chance you will end up in trouble. Because all those experts cannot save you. All those experts cannot come to your aid. They'll be calling on their gods and asking you to call on your God when they hit trouble. So if in the direction that God is asking you to go, even if you have to be a lone traveler, take that route. If you're not coming, I'm not going. I want wherever you go, I want to go with you. I I wish we say like that to God. Come with me, come. Come, come, come. Let's all go. Jump into the... Come, come, come. Let's all go together. Wherever I am going, wherever you are going, come, come. Let's all go. This is the stupid attitude Christians today have. If you have to travel alone, God said go. If you have to travel all by yourself, travel all by yourself. Don't look look to the left or to the right. Walk alone. Walk alone. With the conviction that you are walking with Jesus. Jesus. Don't wait for your friend, don't wait for your aide, don't wait for your spouse, don't wait for anybody. Walk alone if you have to. But that's the direction that you have to take because God told you to take that direction. If you're looking for company in man, pretty soon you'll hit trouble. In all other directions, you will get a lot of company. But in the direction God is asking you to take, you will be all by yourself. But when you look around, prosperity, but the direction that God is asking me to take, I'm all by myself. There is nothing there. Do not be surprised to have multiple ships ready to take you into another direction. Away from where God is calling you to go. Do not be surprised that you had the right amount of money to pay the fare to a place God has not called you to go. Listen, 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 listen. For every decision that you have to take in life, There is a God way and there are many other ways. One God way and many other ways. Every decision is like that. A mature Christian will be so fussy about that one God way. He will be so consumed about that God told me this and I'm going to stick to this. The many options that you had before cannot be used to justify your disobedience. You had many options before you that cannot be used to justify your disobedience. The provision that you had cannot be used to justify your disobedience. I'm I'm helping somebody here. I'm helping you today. Uh, That's right. Because some of you are about to take decisions. And you are, you, are, you are trying to justify your decision based on all these things. I have the right amount of money for this. Sorry, that will not justify your decision. The last seat does not justify your decision. Open arms and welcome does not justify your decision. The many people who approved of you cannot justify your disobedience. The open doors of a ready ship does not justify your disobedience to God. When God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, it was so direct, say direct. So direct and specific that anything else he could possibly do will amount to blatant disobedience. It was so direct. See, God did not confuse Jonah with a word. God said, go to Nineveh, cry out against the land. That's it. Nothing to be confused did God really say Nineveh or was it some other place? Did God really say cry out or did he say keep quiet? It's not confusing. When God says something, it is so very clear that everything else that you even think is blatant disobedience unto God. That is how clear God is when it comes to communication. If you you are to blame God for not, I don't know what I, I am supposed to do in life. You're blaming God and you're putting it on Him that He's a bad communicator. You can't say that about God because God is the best communicator in the whole wide world. Nobody communicates like Him. Nobody. How clear. God's word to Him was so clear. You don't need to hear so much from God. One, one phrase was all that God spoke to, just one phrase was all that God spoke to Jonah. If you heard it, that is all that you require to set your journey to Nineveh. Just one sentence from God. You don't need to put the fleece on the other side. You don't have to do all that. You don't have to wait for a hundred people to come and prophesy over you to confirm something. If God has said something to you, He will stand behind it. There's nothing complicated. Go to the city, great city, Nineveh, and cry out against it. I'll tell you, okay, now I'm trying to understand. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to think with Jonah. I'm trying to understand what caused him to disobey God. What was so difficult about obeying this simple instruction? We considered something last week that the fact that uh, he didn't like Nineveh. We're going to look at that one more time. He didn't like Nineveh. He hated the people for sure. But more than that, I'm trying to look at all the possible reasons why Jonah would have showed reluctance. And I believe Jonah, the seasoned prophet, is a seasoned prophet. It would have sounded too small an assignment. Let's go to that place and cry out. What's the big deal? Go to Nineveh, all the way from here to Nineveh and just cry out. Because you know, by now, Jonah had made a mark in the prophetic circle. I told you last week, we find that in Second Kings chapter 14 and verse 25, that Jonah prophesied during the time of Jeroboam too. And what he said about the reign of Jeroboam came to pass just like that. Jonah, the son of Amittai, from the regions of Geth Hafer, he prophesied something and it came to pass. Uh, now he has a reputation that this is a prophet who can speak to the royal circles. He's prophesying to governments. He's prophesying about kings. Now God is asking you this time, no king, no royal circle. What you have to do is go to this place, to this rebellious city and cry out against them. Jonah would not probably have liked it. Uh, But earlier I I prophesied about Jeroboam too. Now you're asking me to go to the city. Good for nothing city. How do you perceive your assignments from God? How do you perceive playing in church? How do you perceive doing the media in church? How do you perceive doing the the camera? How do you perceive arranging the chairs? How do you perceive doing small little things that God is asking you to do? Is it too small for you? Is it too small for you? You know, one of the biggest joys that I've experienced is every time I meet somebody who I have known for a long time and they are still the same. When it comes to their attitude, they're not outgrown their humility. Never. Just because you have a track record. Yes, you are this prophet who prophesied to the king and it came to pass doesn't mean that when God is asking you to go to a, a, a city which is so full of barbaric people, you refuse to go. Because it is not charming to you anymore. It, it is not appealing to you. You've done this mega crusade for 1 lakh people or 10 lakh people. Let's call it one million, okay? You've done this mega crusade for one million people. And when God is asking you to lead a, a house group with, with only 10 people, you're like, okay, now that does not feel like it. Maybe God called the wrong number. Wrong number, Jesus. This is this is Prophet Jonah here. We, we, we respond to God like that. Don't you know who I am? And then you you take. You open the drawer and you take out your resume, your portfolio and you wave it to God. This is who I am. Have you forgotten that I am a prophet who has spoken over kings? Well, what to do this time? God doesn't want you to speak over kings. He wants you to go and speak to a city, cry out. How do you respond? How do you re- perceive your assignments from God? Do you despise small assignments? Do you respond to God's instructions based on your likes and dislikes? Hello? Oh, you cannot hide. You can hide from me, but you cannot hide from God. Do you respond to God's call based on your likes and dislikes? Do you respond to God's call based on your convenience and inconvenience? That is, this is not convenient for me. If it was some other way or some other place or some other timing, I would have done it. The Nineveh call was not so appealing to Jonah. A similar call came to Peter. Say, Peter. What was the instruction that which came to Peter? Go to Cornelius' house and preach to all those who are gathered there. Interesting point here. For Jonah and Peter, Jopa was a very important place. Both these people had something to do with this place called Joppa. Jopa was a turning point for Jonah. Jopa was a turning point for the church. Joppa was a turning point for Peter. From Jopa, Jonah decided to sail further away from God and the call of God. But let's look at Peter. From Joppa, Peter walked towards the call of God. If you are at Joppa, which direction will you take? Will you take the direction that Jonah took towards Tarshish? Or will you take the direction which Peter took towards Caesarea? Where Cornelius houses. At Jopa, Jonah disowned the Nineveh call. He disowned it. He said, No. I don't want, I don't have anything to do with Nineveh. He still had the, the time to turn. But he entered the ship and he disowned the Nineveh call. But what did Peter do? At Jopa, Peter embraced. The call to Caesarea. That's what he did. Jopa could have been a turning point for Jonah. He could have repented. Say repented. Don't make your heart hardened when you are in Jopa. Because Joppa might be the last place that you are in. In safe ground. Beyond Joppa it is. Sea of uncertainties. So From. Gath Affair, all the way to Joppa, Jonah had enough time to make up his mind. He had enough time to think about it. I'm, I'm telling, see, God would have been so merciful to this man. Even beyond Jopa, God's mercy was upon him. But think about it. Had Jonah repented, he would have said, Lord, I'm sorry. I heard it right, but I disobeyed you. I want to turn back. And I want to come to where you want me to go. He had all those footsteps he made from Gath Affair all the way to Joppa, He had the time to think about it. He had the time to turn back to the call of God. I want to know that some of you have that kind of time. God has given you that kind of time. You've been walking so much. Walking so much all the way from the place that God has spoken to you. And you're heading towards the sea. You had so much of time to make up your mind and change your mind. And turn towards the direction God has shown you. And in your rebellion... You are so obstinate. You are so, you are, you are so petting and pampering the Tarshish that you want to go to. You are, not, you are not willing to turn back to God. How can you disown God? How can you say no to your God? How can you ignore the call of God? How can you pretend like everything is alright? Stop pretending. Don't pretend before God. When God speaks to you, don't pretend. Don't pretend. Yes, God spoke to you. He did. He did. For every stupid thing that you're doing, God had given you a forewarning that you're going to do this. And he had told you not to do it. And all those footsteps, that long journey from Gathapha all the way to Joppa, you had enough and more time to make up your mind and turn towards Nineveh. Even when you got inside the ship, even when you reached the port of Joppa, it could have been a turning point for him. Instead of using that money to buy the, 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 the ticket or the fare, he paying the fare towards Tarshish, he could have just given it to somebody else and said, I'm sorry, this is my offering to you. God bless you and turn back. would have been a blessing for him. Once the ship took off from the shore of Joppa, then the time was over. What amazes me is the fact that God was still merciful to Jonah. God was still merciful to Jonah. We are talking about the Old Testament prophet Jonah. In the middle of the sea, God, God could have said, let him go die. God didn't say that about Jonah. God went after Jonah. He sent a mighty storm into the sea. Prevented him from taking that direction. The the place which he thought was the, the land of his dreams, the land of opportunities, the land of new beginnings. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is destruction. God prevented from hitting the shore of Tarshish. I believe if he had reached Tarshish, he would have died. So God sent the storm to the middle of the sea. Shook the entire ship. Shook all the mariners, all the sailors, all the cargo. Just for one man. Just to get the attention of one man. And God is doing like that to some of your life. And you're like, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm not going to change. I paid the fare. I have made up my mind. I want to go to Tarshish. No Nineveh. I don't know any Nineveh. You're stiff-necked. You're stiff-necked. You're flint-faced. You have no expression of repentance. There's no worship in you. There's no devotion in you. There's no intimacy in you. You are hell bound on your decision. You want to go that direction. God is trying to prevent. He's trying to prevent you from destruction. The way that seems right to you will only lead to calamity. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to? Plans to prosper you. And not to? Don't, see, the Lord is saying very clearly to some of you here, don't be so busy making up plans for yourself to prosper yourself. Don't get so busy. Some of you, somebody here is so busy trying to make up plans to prosper yourself. And the Lord is giving a clear word, that is the way of destruction. Get out of it. Turn, turn, the Lord is saying, turn, turn, turn your back on Tarshish, turn your back on Tarshish. You might get a warm reception there, you might get a welcome there, you might find experts there, you might find it very promising, but there is nothing God has to offer in that town, in that place. Turn, had Jonah responded all the way, Down to Joppa, he had the time to respond. Had Jonah responded, God would have filled him with sufficient grace to carry out the difficult mission at Nineveh. Let's accept it. I told you last week also, the mission at Nineveh was very difficult. It's a very difficult mission. You must understand a little bit of uh, history of Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Who are the Assyrians? Assyrians were the most barbaric people who ever ruled in the world. That's how barbaric they were. They were savage people. Ruthless and cruel. Everything that they did were so uh, uncivilized. Had no mercy on people. And history says that they used to pile up dead bodies as pyramids. So that enemies who are from a distance can see this is what they will do to their enemies. That's how they used to scare off people. They'll pile up dead bodies. They'll maim and uh, mutilate the bodies of The enemy soldiers, the enemy people. They'll rape the women of the enemies. That's how cruel they were. Known for their cruelty. So when God told Jonah, yes, let's accept it. It was a difficult mission. Say difficult mission. Not every mission that God gives you is easy. You tell your neighbor, not every mission that God gives you is going to be easy. If you're expecting all things to be easy in the kingdom, I want to tell you, not everything is going to be. And there are things that you have to pay the price. Say, pay the price. You have to be bold. Say, bold. In the, kingdom, in the kingdom, you've got to be bold. Kingdom work is for bold people. I said, kingdom work is for? It's not for sissies. It's not for covert people. It's not for the cowardly people. It's for bold people. The the spirit that has come upon us is the spirit of boldness. Say boldness. Jonah despised the opening of Nineveh. It was too small. It was too small for a prophet he thought about himself. I'm this big prophet. I prophesy only in the royal circles. If you are going to evaluate your openings and your ministry platforms based on how you see yourself, you will make Costly errors. If you're going to look at things and evaluate things, look at me and look at that. That's not match. If that's how you're going to evaluate things, you must evaluate everything based on what God has spoken to you. If your evaluation criteria is what meets the eye, then you can make very costly errors. Very costly errors. The grass is always greener on the other side. The fortune always is on the other side. That's your eye. Look, Listen. The biggest blunder mankind has ever made happened in the Garden of Eden. It was based on what he saw. And based on his sight, he had a thought. Or she had a thought. And then he fell for it. The pride took over. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. Even today, that's the same problem mankind is facing. It's all about what you see. My analysis says that I'm too big for that. My analysis is that that platform is too small for me. So according to my analysis, I'm going to disagree with God who told me to go there. So when God tells you something, you are not agreeing with God, you are disagreeing with God. Because your analysis told you something else. The house of a Roman centurion can look very small for an apostle of the the rank of Peter. Who is Peter? The chief of apostles he was the head of the church the bishop the one jesus himself said i'm going to build my church on this rock on your revelation on this rock you are peter the rock i'm going to build the church on you he stood up on the platform and he he preached 3000 people got saved on the first day that's the peter we are talking about that peter could have said centurion's house a gentile's house I mean, God, do you want me to go to a Gentile's house? A Roman centurion's house? No way, I'm not going. You would have forgotten that I'm Apostle Peter. But God had set that small platform, that small house, that small group of people as a pivotal point of transition for the church. Had Peter not responded he would have missed out on what God wanted to do through him. He would have missed out. Okay, now you must understand this. It's your miss. If you don't respond, it's your? It's your miss. If you don't obey God, it's your miss. And I told you last week how Paul was prepared. Paul was already coming to the fore. As As a minister, as an apostle to the Gentiles. Had Peter failed, God would have always used Paul to start this off. But God's plan was to use Peter to start it. And praise God, he responded right. So he went to the centurion's house based on a vision. Not even a night vision, a day trance. He saw a trance and all kinds of weird things appeared to him in the trance. Animals and four-footed beasts and snakes and reptiles and all. And uh, the only voice that he heard is, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Based on that, this apostle by the name Peter went all the way to this centurion's house and preached to a people. He, is, he, he doesn't have any connection with Gentiles. I'm, uh, unholy Gentiles. Unclean. But what to do? God spoke to him. The church has to grow up. Say grow up. Tell your neighbor grow up. You had to grow up to a place where The smallest of communication that God gives you must be cherished to the fullest. The slightest, if God has whispered to you, even if God were to only whisper to you, you must cherish what God has spoken to you. Like the psalmist said, God spoke once, I heard. I'll tell you something that can make you very uncomfortable. If factories working out of China can provide replacement for the products that you use. What do you think about heaven? Amen. What do you think about heaven? If a Chinese factory can, can find a replacement for the product that you use, what do you think about heaven? Do you think heaven has got a dearth in resources and people? See, that's why Jesus said, I can make children come out of these stones. God can raise children out of. If you keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. So who are we talking about? See, if you are feeling indispensable in the kingdom, that is pride. If you think you are the only person who can do something for the Lord, that is pride. It is the mercy of God that went after Jonah. Shook the ship. God him thrown out of the ship into the sea. The mercy of God appeared as as a big fish. The mouth of that fish opened at the right time to swallow Jonah into the belly. Jonah survived three days and three nights inside the belly in spite of the gastric juice. Think about it. This is the most acidic place you can think about. You can ask doctors. The most acidic place that you can think about is the stomach of a being. How many of you have experienced gastric reflux? Your throat will burn for a few days. You will not be able to talk properly. That's how strong the acid in your stomach is. Right or wrong, doctors? Yeah? Right. So this man ended up in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Survived that. Why? Because of the mercy of God. And that's right. And he is telling the world and the future generation that he was in the safest place on earth. You know why? Because he found himself in the mercy of God. The lap of God's mercy. The fish was the expression of God's mercy. The next time you eat a fish, think about the mercy of God. But he, he walked from Galilee to Joppa. He did not turn back. He paid the fare. Got into the ship to Tarshish. Still he did not turn back. He went down to the deck. And lie down to sleep. He did not turn back. God sent the mighty storm. He did not turn back. He took everything. And everyone was terrified. In just a matter of few moments. Jonah's great confidence. And his big ego. Disappeared. Just a matter of few moments. Listen. It does not take God much. To humble a person. Always remember, always remember, it does not take much for God to humble a person. If God were to use his ways to humble us, mm-hmm. you can think of sleeping in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. You can think of being thrown in the, in the sea. It does not take much for God to, what did it take for God? All it took was this. That's all. All it took was a, he blew upon the sea, like this. That's all it took for God to humble this man's arrogance and ego, and boastful pride. What happened to Jonah? He got radically saved in the middle of the sea. That's what happened to Jonah. The backsliding prophet got radically saved in the middle of the sea. He, he became so changed a person that he asked his new friends, you can throw me out and save yourself. He was so humble. How humble he became. All of a sudden, the prophet who walked with such pomp and pride, all of a sudden became so humble. He had money to pay the fare. He had the ship ready for Tashish. He, he found a place to sleep in the deck. But in a matter of few moments, he became so humble, he told his newfound friends, you can throw me into the sea. This is all because of me. This is all because of? That's humility. When God humbles, you must choose to be humble. God cannot make anybody humble. But God can... Make you pass through circumstances where you can respond right and be humble. He said, throw me into the sea and save yourself. Jonah got so transformed. One wind from God. You probably need a wind from God to be transformed. Some of you need to seek that. With your bloated egos and your pride and arrogance, just ask, Lord, just blow your wind over me. and Make me humble. Just a while ago, Nineveh was so small for Jonah. Just a while ago. When he hit the bed, when he laid his head on the pillow also, he was dreaming about Tarshish. Nineveh was nowhere in the picture. Nineveh was so small for him. He hated the people of Nineveh. He surely had his reasons, I told you. Brutal, ruthless, barbaric people. But what to do? God told Jonah to go as a... Say missionary, children say missionary. So what did God tell Jonah? Go to Nineveh as a, as a prophet, as a missionary. When God tells you to go somewhere as a missionary, it need not be the place of your liking. Jonah did not want to go because he knew that God is so merciful and he will relent from doing harm. Jonah was reluctant to go to Nineveh because he did not want to serve Ninevites. Because he knew that if he went to Nineveh, he'll end up as service unto them. Because God will relent from doing harm to them. So he is going to serve these people. This, the reason why some of you are reluctant to go places or to do things is because you are reluctant to serve people who you don't like. There's a reluctance. I don't want to serve. I don't want to serve him. I don't want to serve them. Because he hated the people of Nineveh with a passion. He wanted them all to perish. But that's how God works. He will ask you to serve those whom you can't get along with. That's how God works. He will, he will make you serve people that you can't get along with. Ministry is never about convenience. Ministry is never. It is never. Oh, you know, you can't take this. Ministry is never about convenience. Ministry is never a matter of your choice. You do not get to choose in ministry. If you get to choose what what to do and when to do and how to do and where to do, then it is not ministry. It is just a hobby. Ministry is not a hobby. Say it's a service. Say it is obedience. It is obedience unto God. And obedience is better than So that is ministry. That's right. It is not about convenience. It's about your conviction. It is not about convenience. It's about your conviction. It's not a matter of your choice. It's a matter of God's choice over you. It's a matter of God's choice. What to do? God chose you. God chose you. If it was about my choice, I would have ended up somewhere else. But praise God, this is about His choice. I ended up serving him. And I don't regret it at all. It is not my choice. Ministry is not your choice. Ministry is not your convenience. Serving God is not your choice. Serving God is not your convenience. Serving God is your conviction. It's your privilege. It's not a hobby. It's obedience unto God. Nineveh looked so insignificant to Jonah. It was also people whom he hated with a passion. And he felt that he had nothing much to do. Do you know one thing about Jonah's ministry in Nineveh? I'm looking at all the possible reasons why Jonah would have despised the the call of God to go to Nineveh. I'm looking at all the possible reasons. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh and cry out. In the conversation, Jonah would have asked, okay, what should I what should I tell them? He opened his notepad. Okay, let's say he opened his iPad. Okay? Jonah opened his iPad. Okay, God, let's go. Tell me. Tell me the message. God said, Okay, let's start. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, then. That's it. That's all God told him. The sermon is over. That's all that he had to preach. Jonah took the iPad out and he is striping away the message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Full stop. He's waiting for the rest. God said there is nothing else to say. You go and preach this. Jonah said, What? I am Prophet Jonah. I don't preach small messages. I can only preach for a few hours. And that will be a deep revelation from you. All you wanted me to tell this people is, yet 40 days and then shall be overthrown. For Jonah, that was a small Sermon to preach, too small. Because we all like to do something very spectacular. You can check the Bible. You can check what he preached. Let's let's turn, let's turn. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Full stop. After the sermon, he sat down. Nothing else to say. See, for the prophet in John, it was such a, such a wrestle in, like such a conflict within. How can I, what about my reputation? I'm known for long messages. I'm known for deep revelations. But all that you're asking me to preach here is, yet 40 days and then never shall be overthrown. God said, yes. That's all. Look at verse 5. Then, so how many, how many words in this message? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words. How many of you would love to have your pastor preach only eight words on a Sunday? Eight words. If Jonah were to start a church, you all would go there. Eight words. He preached eight words and he sat down and the Bible says, then the people of Nineveh, believed in God and they called a fast and put on a sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Immediate action. The power of those eight words. When you preach, you don't have to preach much. You don't have to do much. When you do what God tells you to do, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be um, too much. It doesn't have to be beyond expectations or anything like that. When God tells you to do something, do it to the T and step out. Rest, God will do. Rest, God will do. He needed no notes. He needed no iPad. He needed no prompting. He needed no pro presenter. He needed nothing to remember the message. Yet, 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Over. Just one small sentence. See, God is not asking much from you. Tell your neighbor, God is not asking much from you. It's all about perspective. Do you know that it's all about perspective? He wants that little which he demands. Go to Nineveh and cry out eight little words. What did God tell Peter? Go to Cornelius house and preach to those gathered there. And Peter went there in simple words, presented the gospel. What happened in the the house of Cornelius? Peter preached this message before he even said, okay, let's now time for prayer. You can come for prayer. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to lay hands on you. Did he do all that? He, he, He barely finished his message. Simple message of the gospel of Christ. He barely finished it. The next thing that you know is the people who are seated before him are speaking in tongues. They are glorifying God. They are prophesying the mighty works of God. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. Gentiles. Nobody had to lay hands on them. Nobody had to pray over them. Nobody had to give them counseling. Nobody had to take them to Bible college. Nobody had to take them to any sort of course. Listen, you want your ministry to be effective. Do what God tells you to do. Quit your plans. God is speaking to some of you. Quit your plans. Cut short your plans. Some of you have forgotten to worship God. Some of you have forgotten how to do ministry. You know why? Because you're so full of your thoughts. You're so full of your thoughts. You're so engrossed in the thoughts made by your own self. You've forgotten how to serve God. You're acting like a buffoon in the kingdom of God. God has given you something. Do that. Go by the plan of God. Don't try to overdo anything. And one of the things that I, I, I got to minister to some young people the other week, we were all there at, at Bangalore. One of the things I told them is keep it simple. Keep it simple. You complicate things. You are you're trying to bring everything, all the complications in the world, all the technicalities together, and you're you're expecting everything to go like well. And you're engrossed in all that. You forget to worship God. Sunday over. Next Sunday over. Next Sunday over. Next Sunday over. You've forgotten how to worship God. You've forgotten the last time you you knelt and worship. You've forgotten how to raise your hands in worship. The church must learn how to raise hands in worship. You can't cry before God. You must cry about crying before God. You become so sophisticated, so stiff before God. There's no devotion before God. There are no tears before God. There's no intimacy with God. No devotion for God. Because you're so so full of Tarshish. You want to pursue your dreams. You're pursuing your technicalities, your passions. It's about your excellence, your skills, your performance. God does not want any of those things. He just wants obedience. Many times God is just waiting for your obedience. Nothing else. God is not, God is not asking for anything more than that. Now you're probably coming with, you know, you're coming before God with, with a backpack as tall as yourself, or even taller than yourself, with all your, your abilities and your, your strengths and your experience and your certificates and your all those things accolades and you're coming before God. Now you you think God will be impressed with all that. And in the process of you carrying all that weight, you forget what God wants. God just wants worship in truth and in spirit. All that He is desiring from you is your tenderness towards Him. But you're so caught up in all these technical things. Now you must go and see, you must go and go on a fast, get on a fast, get on a fast. Get on a fast. If you can't remember when is the last time you worship God, get on a fast. If you can't remember when is the last time, you must ask yourself when is the last time you shed tears in the presence of God? When is the last time you cried in the presence of God? When is the last time you lost sense of everything else around you and worship God? When is the last time you prayed and you couldn't stop? When is the last time you opened the word and you couldn't stop? When is the last time? Don't get so used to being numb to God. Don't be numb to God. Don't entertain numbness in your relationship to God. I'm asking you husbands and wife, will your spouse allow you to be numb towards her or him? If I don't talk properly to my wife for a few hours, forget a few hours, a few minutes, she will take my case, because there is no numbness in intimacy. It's about keeping it alive. Why is it that we are so numb? And we go to places, we see all the corporate structure and it's, it's all so, so, so defined and so drawn. The Boundaries are all laid out. There is no space for the Holy Spirit to do anything. Have you become like that? Have you become like that? Have you defined the boundaries for God to work? Have you defined boundaries for God to work? God, only if it is Tarshish, I will go. If it is a place like Tarshish, I will consider. But never I don't like. It's too small for me. Only if you ask me to sing a song, I will go. But preaching only eight words, no, I can't. If I'm not going to prophesy over kings, I'm not going. To a Roman centurion's house, I'm not going. To a Gentile's house, I'm not going. Why? because you have lost your sense of who god is you've forgotten who your god is the prophet of god forgot who god was what is what a dilemma that is what a place that is what a sad place to be all it takes is obedience say obedience say obedience Don't get lost in human ideas. Don't get lost in the clutter. Don't get lost in the, the marketing strategies. Don't get lost in the, the media saviness and the photoperfect moment. Don't get lost in all those things. In the process, you lose focus of who God is. Always ask yourself, why, why do you do what you do in the kingdom? Why do you do what you do in the kingdom? Why do you preach in church? Why do you sing in church? Why do you worship? Why, do you, why are you a part of the worship team in church? Why are you a part of the intercessory the team in church? Why do you evangelize? Why? Ask yourself why. We are talking about purity in deeds. And I told you it's all about intentions. Why? What's the reason you do the things that you are doing in the kingdom? Is it a hobby? Is it just a hobby for you? Is it a matter of convenience? Is it your choice? Or are you, are you truly given to serve God? I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, if you have access to young people, teach them to worship. Teach them to worship. Before you teach them anything else. You can teach them music, you can teach them uh, media, you can teach them sound and this and that. But if you don't teach them to worship, if you don't teach them what is intimacy with God, they will grow up in church and end up becoming empty. No purpose, no zeal, no passion for God. There's no difference between them and people in the world. Look at that, look at that. Either the people in the world had a better sense than Jonah. They tried to save him. Even after he admitted that I am the reason for this calamity, they try to save him. But sometimes people in the church are so dumb. They are so dumb. They are so rebellious. Ministry is not about doing something noteworthy before people. Ministry is not something that you do to impress people. The one, one question that, that keeps coming back over and over, over and over is, What if none of these things were with you? None of these people, none of these things are with you. Will you still do what I'm asking you to do? And have to answer and say yes. It's a choice that you have to make. If you're driven by the entourage and if you're driven by the the paraphernalia, you're driven by the pomp. If you're driven by that, then you lose focus of who God is. Always stay focused on Jesus. He's a center. Center of your worship. Center of your devotion. The object of your devotion. The reason for your obedience is Jesus. Lay everything else down. Hello, this is Nisha Dilipkosh. I'm sure this podcast has blessed you. Do subscribe to our channel for more messages and follow us on social media to stay connected. May God bless you.